Hey, everybody. Um, switching up a little bit before we jump into the main story here to bring you a sit-down interview, I guess would be the talking, bullshitting kind of episode. Um, I kind of had this idea from the get-go. That one of the original ideas I pitched to the group was we would do 50% of like GM talk, and then the other 50% would be doing... Um, that's what I'm looking for, like actual play. And then the rest of the group was like, no, nah, that's really dumb, Chris. Don't ever do that. And so uh, I'm getting one episode in there. And that's why I'm sitting down here today with my guest, Taylor, from the Stories of Lies podcast. How you doing? Hey, what's going on? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Um, so you and I started talking through the Pretended to be People Discord. Um, yeah. We both launched a podcast about the same time. You kind <laughs> of been... Podcast brothers of sorts, as about you would put it. About the same time. We launched on the same day. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, not same time. You guys no, are, no, you guys right. lost Eastern, Eastern, believe, right? Uh, oh. I'm Central, but um, Matt's okay. uh, in Eastern, yeah. Gotcha. We we do Pacific, so technically it's like, yeah. A couple hours. Anyways. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, so you and I started kind of talking on that Discord and whatnot. Just, uh, I don't remember our how it came about i think probably posted in self-promo or something along those lines yep uh but it's it's really cool to talk with you over the past month or two or maybe even three i i don't know at this point time flies by at uh when you're old like me i think um, it's been eight months see there you go see, <laughs> I, I i just i don't have a good time anymore uh, um, yep, that's okay but it's really cool just kind of to go through those trials and tribulations as a podcast with you and kind of bounce ideas off of you, get feedback, um, see what you guys are doing and that kind of thing. And it's just, I don't know, it's really helpful. And plus, the other cool thing is that you are now running the second mission on your guys' flagship show. I know you guys also have a Patreon that you're doing. Um, yeah. But that's awesome. And you're doing homebrew, which is even... Uh, to me, I I love that aspect of Delta Green. I know our second mission was all homebrew, and our third's going to be homebrew. Um, yeah, I love it too. Yeah. It well, is. I'll oh, go for. It. I was just going to say, uh, I I completely agree. Just you know, having other people to bounce ideas off of, or sort of just talk about who know a little bit more about, like from the inside of what it's like to actually you know record, produce, play in any anything like this. Um, it's just good. It's good to have other other voices out there. Yeah, and I I have tried to never be one to make like things got competition. I'm very much a like if we can all just be one big happy family or like let's help each other out. There's I don't yeah. I don't see a point in being um like a dick about stuff, I guess would be the better way to put it. And so yeah. I thought that I've ever like you guys never come off that way. I don't want to put it out that way, but I've dealt with podcasts in the past where it's just like, oh well, uh, yeah, you guys are doing all right. It's like, well, 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 then help me out. Like, what are you guys doing that's different? Like, let's talk about this. I want to learn. Like, I, I, I want to be a student of all of this as much as you're. You guys are doing well. Um, yeah, me too. And there was some animosity there. Like, we were going to steal their listenership or whatnot. And I, I don't think I've ever gotten that with you guys. And I'm happy to see you guys continue to grow. I think it's awesome you launched a Patreon. Um, that's fucking rad. Like, I know we we've talked about it, but it's a scary endeavor for us. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and it, you know, um, we don't have a ton of stuff on our Patreon yet, but we did just finish up um, an eight-episode kind of mini arc with um, uh, a another Call of Cthulhu scenario that we played in Delta Green uh, nice. called Forget Me Not. So it's actually from the same book as uh, Ladybug, which was our first story. Oh, but, cool! You know, I, I I don't understand the notion that people, especially in the podcasting world, are afraid of losing their listeners to another podcast. 
like as somebody who listens to a lot of podcasts, like I listen to podcasts constantly every day. Like I just want more podcasts. I don't, I'm not trying to switch from one podcast to another one. I just want, I want more for my library. Yeah, exactly. Like I just, I want good quality content that are by people who I can relate to. Like a big part for me game wise is I want there to be a sense of danger in a game and I want things to feel, um, like an actual game. Like I don't want it to feel overly produced and I don't need people to be in costumes and have silly voices and whatnot when they do stuff. Just let me feel like I'm there and learning for about the game. Uh, that's always been a big thing for, for sure. me is trying to find like Blades of the Dark. I was trying to find a Blades of the Dark actual play that I could listen to to kind of help understand the mechanics. And there's a really great one called Magpies, but they don't mm. explain any of like the roles or anything. They just make them and then dictate what happened afterwards. And it kind of was one of those things where I was missing out on that discussion of like, okay, why are you making like what made you decide to do this versus that? And I think that's kind of where the impetus of me wanting to do kind of a a talk session uh, episode kind of came from. Oh, so, totally. Um, yeah. But let's get a little bit of background on you. Um, how did you Uh-oh. get into gaming? Oh, man, how did I get into gaming? When you say gaming, do you mean, like, tabletop gaming, just gaming in general? Let's do it in general. What was your first uh, memories of, like, okay. I, my my very first memories are playing uh, Batman and the the, the first nin, uh, Mutant Ninja Turtles game on the Nintendo. Like, okay. Being so pissed at that one underwater level on, on the, the fucking Ninja Turtle game. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, so I, uh, I was born in 95 and, um, sometime in 96, seven, 97, maybe, um, I don't remember this very well. I remember maybe a little bit of it, but, um, it's a story that my mom constantly tells when, when we're talking about computers and me. Um, so for Christmas one year, I got a Lego game. Uh, I don't know if it was like Lego city or some, some Lego game for the PC and, um, what my mom tells the story that she tells is that I had, uh, you know, rushed into their room at probably six in the morning or whatever and, and woken them up to, uh, tell them how excited I was about this new Lego game and describing all of the, the things you can do in it and how it works and all this stuff. And she was kind of perplexed. She's like, well, how do you know? Like, how do you know about all this stuff? And I said, oh, well, I installed it and started playing it. So I, I must have been, I couldn't have been older than two. I think it was probably two, which is a little ridiculous for, for that kind of a thing. But um, my first like memory memory of something I actually, you know, can, can recall would be um, probably Spyro or, oh okay. no, you know what? It was uh, Pac-Man on my dad's Atari. That's what it was. Nice. But yeah, then, yeah. Spyro. I, remember, I also have this vague memory of play. You ever play the Top Gun game for Nintendo? The original uh, I Nintendo have not. Game? I never had a oh. Nintendo. So yeah, I missed out on a lot of that stuff. It's like it's almost impossible to land on the the carrier. Oh. But I remember like staying the night at my mom's friend's house, we were, like house sitting for them, and spending like forty minutes just trying to land this airplane on a carrier. I'm like, what? Oh my you god! Can't do it. It's impossible. This is not. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, someone yeah. coded it. It must be possible. Uh, it's, yeah, exactly. Get good, good scrub. I'm, that's pretty much what it is. I'm not. <laughs> so, uh, well, what led you from that into getting into the tabletop games? Oh, um, it was a long series of, you know, being interested in, in things like RuneScape when I was in middle school, um, you know, other fantasy related stuff, and then discovering Dungeons and Dragons about that same time. I think it was about 10. Um, I got a hold of the 3.5 um, core rule books, 
the three uh, the three main ones. And I never played it because I didn't understand the concept of playing it. But I, I loved looking at those books and reading through them and and drawing you know pictures of uh, you know the weapons and armor and stuff like that. And awesome. um, and maps. Oh my god, I drew a ton of maps on just shitty maps on grid paper when I was a kid. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until I was really in college. Okay, so I played one game of fourth edition the day it came out, and then I never touched it again. And it wasn't because I didn't like it. It was just because I had nobody to play with and and no capacity to understand how to GM. Um, Yep. But I got into college, and uh, my first year of college, uh, I was in a math class, and this this guy in front of me was talking about D&D. Unbeknownst to me, he didn't really say that. He was describing it as Ravenloft. And I was like, well, what is that? You know, and he started describing it and he told me it was Dungeons and Dragons and um, that they played every week. And uh, I started talking with him about it and and got into his game. And then like, I think a week later, um, somebody from across the room had like overheard us talking about this and came over and was like, "Uh, excuse me, are you guys talking about D&D? And we're like, "Uh, yes. And uh, that guy eventually became my roommate and a really good friend nice. of mine for a while. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But I started GMing uh, in college. There was there was a point in time for about a semester where I was playing in two games and running one game every week. So it was Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Wow. And I just didn't go to class. And that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that is how you end up dropping out of college. But I learned a lot about RPGs. Well, there you go. Yeah. That sounds yep. like it. <laughs> Yeah, I I discovered RPGs in college as well. Oh, yeah? Um, Which one? My first game was was D and D Fourth Edition. Classic. And it took me a long time to undo my brain from running that system because uh, it's it's not it's not like any other D and D system. Which I thought all D and D systems were like this because it's the Fourth Edition. Why wouldn't it be any different? <laughs> sure. And I didn't understand the departure that was made at one point. Um, now so, I do, obviously, did- but. Did you run a lot of it? Like, how often did you did you run it? Um, yeah, so I would. I had a solid group for about three months when I first moved back from college, and then intermittently I would run it for people trying to get them interested in it. And then I discovered Pathfinder, and I ran Pathfinder for a couple years. Um, mm-hmm. And I found Savage Worlds, and I tried to get to find anybody to play Savage Worlds with, and I could not find a single person who was interested in playing Savage Worlds, and it bummed me out. What is that? Uh, um, it's a, I guess it's a system agnostic, uh, well, I guess world agnostic system, and it's all based okay. on, like, pulpy, gritty rule sets, right? So, uh, think of, like, noir and, like, old crime novels, but you could do anything. There's supplements for superheroes, fantasy, horror, all this stuff. Okay. But it's a, instead of having a class, you have, um, attributes, and each attribute is assigned a die. So you have a D4 through a D12. Mm-hmm. And you, whenever you have to do a check, you're going to roll your skill, uh, which is usually like a die itself. So uh, there's a whole system based on what die you can get to. So um, each attribute is linked to a skill, and then you can get to that skill up to the die of your attribute for minimal cost. And after that, it costs more and more. So we will get into that. But the cool thing was... Um, every time you'd make a roll, you would roll whatever your skill dice is, plus a d6, and if you got at least a four on either of the dice, you succeeded. That, hmm. that That's the whole game. It's target number four. Uh, where it gets really cool 
is each dice explode. So you just keep yeah. rolling and rolling and rolling. So you can get ridiculous, awesome rolls. And then for every four you are over the target number, you get successes and all. It, it just keeps adding on and adding on. Uh, and it's that- really fun. It's really cool and it's fast and it's breezy. Um, but the thing that I think a lot of people had a hard time getting, at least the people I played with, was there's no health points. You just have like bruises. And so you accumulate bruises, which are your HP, and that was kind of a hard concept for people hmm. first getting into RPGs to understand. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and with the exploding but, dice, is that um, just when it hits the max on the die, like the highest yes, number? Yeah. Okay. Typically, yeah. Exploding dice is, yeah, whenever you roll the max amount on any, any dice, you roll it again, and you just keep rolling until you don't. Yeah, so okay. you, you could get lucky, and if you got a D4, you could roll like, you know, a, roll a twelve out eventually. It's awesome. Oh, that's I didn't um, think about that because you have a higher chance with the the lower mm-hmm. number of faces. That makes sense. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's just this really fun system. I, I loved it. Um, they recently about it's about seven or eight years now they released a a new edition of it that kind of cleaned up a lot of stuff that I had issues with. So I'm hoping to try to find another group to run it, but we'll see. I mean, I've All got right. I got too many games I want to run as is. So oh my god, I I feel you there. Holy cow. It's so, endless. Well, I, I didn't I didn't know about... So I played d and I, I also... You mentioned Pathfinder. I also played in one game of Pathfinder very briefly. It was a Final Fantasy 13 themed Pathfinder game. Oh, there you um, go. That was, I think that was one of the three games I was playing uh, weekly. Um, and other than that, I didn't really understand the concept of there being other RPGs out there that were worth playing. I'd heard about some of them. You know, I, I don't even remember the names of them at this point, but... Um, but then it wasn't until, um, I, st- I really, okay. So the pandemic, the, when the <laughs> pandemic started, I, I, you listen to glass cannon, right? I do. Yes. Yeah. So it, when that started, they, uh, kind of shifted up what they're doing and they ended up, um, uh, doing what they called new game who dis. So they started playing oh. a bunch of random games. One of their best series. I yeah, it. it's phenomenal. And, and that was my first exposure to a lot of other games, including Delta Green. That was oh, sort nice. of when That's I started awesome. branching out. Yeah, I uh, ever since I have an issue where I will find a new system and I'll get really into it. I'm like, this is the best system ever. This is, I'm <laughs> never going to play another system after this one. And then I'll run a campaign or two and I'm like, there's a lot of flaws in the system. I don't know if I want to run it anymore. And then I'll be like, yeah. ooh, new shiny thing, and I'll move on to the next thing. And so far, Delta Green has been the system where I haven't found like any flaws to the point where I'm like, I don't want to run this anymore because it irritates me. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of that was me running a lot of fantasy, and I'm just burnt out on fantasy stuff. Um, I think exploring kind of modern day and even like futuristic stuff is really interesting to me right now because it's never really been my wheelhouse for... like. Uh, Media, I guess, would be the sense. Like, okay, I, I loved X Files and all that kind of stuff, and I'm a huge horror nut. Like, I watch absurd amounts of horror movies, so I think Delta Green really ties into that aspect for me. Um, D- didn't you but, used to do like a horror movie podcast, or am I thinking of I something? Did. Okay, no, I did. Uh, a couple friends and I did one. Misha, who's also mm-hmm. on the podcast, and my I, myself and uh, our buddy Rick, who did the voice of the man in the first season uh, in the inter- intros. Um, okay, we used to do a podcast called Podcast Massacre where. We just would review horror movies and talk about general horror movie stuff, and it was a lot of fun. Um, saw a lot of movies that I, I'm glad I saw. Uh, really branched out my horror liking, my nice. appreciation for horror in that sense. So, um, yeah, I love horror. It is. It's I don't know. I like. I love it all. I love. I really love like 
just crappy old horror movies. Um, <laughs> like, there's one called. Uh, <laughs> I feel really bad because it's just it's like my go-to movie if I'm bored. I'll watch this movie called Pieces, which is this Italian okay. uh, slasher film about a guy who kills mainly women on a campus with a chainsaw. Oof. And it's uh, it's just so bad and so good. There's this like chase scene through a building that if you do the calculations, the building has to be like 15 stories high from all the steps they go down. But it's like a three story <laughs> building. It's just oh, man, it's incredible. Um, but yeah, it's 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 one of my favorites to go to. But it's just so bad. My wife will just come in and like roll her eyes. And just be like you're watching this again. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. Like, <laughs> enjoy it. Like, come on. That's cool. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, let's. What else do we got here for topic wise? Um, what current games are you guys playing, or are you playing? I should say, are you running any other games besides the podcast? Uh, at the moment, no. I'm just running that. Um, although I'm I'm working on you know I'm sort of in that like um, letting things simmer stage. Uh, okay. So I've got I, I just finished up a campaign of Impossible Landscape sometime I think back in like March or nice. so. Um, and that was great. Uh, I um, failed miserably at running it. Um, <laughs> I ran the whole thing. I, we got all the way to the end. Uh, and I have uh, a group of players who are incredibly um, open and honest with how they're feeling about a game. Um, so I was able to learn a ton about kind of where I went wrong in some of the places, um, what I could do better the next time. Uh, not That's just awesome. with Impossible Landscapes in particular, but... Also, the, you know, the kinds of things that you have to do as a GM, you know, setting expectations, um, reading the mm-hmm. room, that kind of stuff. Um, no, that, that's good. You have a group that will do that because not every group yeah. will do that. It's a, it can be a rare thing. Um, and then the, the other thing is Pathfinder. Uh, I love Pathfinder. I really, really, really want to play second edition. And uh, I, got, I got a chance to do one one shot of it mm, a couple years ago. And then a friend of mine and I, we just finished up a, a game of Curse of Strahd he was running. He was also one of my players in Impossible Landscapes. And uh, he and I are starting to kind of flesh out a story that we're going to try to co-GM. So it's uh, Pathfinder 2nd cool. Edition takes place on Galarian. We're kind of trying to stick to the the world lore as much as we can, but tell our own sort of homebrew story. Um, we've got this, the the bare bones of it, the skeleton of it laid out, and and we're beginning to flesh out some of the some of the details. So that's awesome. It's a great system. It really is. Um, my yeah, like over being over fantasy stuff aside, it is a tight system. There's a lot of awesome character like designs and concepts that can be built with it. It's oh yeah, pretty easy to follow. Um, I'm I run two games of it currently, but it's uh, of yeah, two, I, of I, second I edition. Do, yeah, yeah, I run so the group for the podcast we're doing Age of Ashes, which is the very mm-hmm. first adventure path released for it. Um we're on book 5 of 6. That's actually kind of what got everybody here playing together was that that game. Okay. Um and then I'm also running the um Quest for the Frozen Flame adventure path for another group that this is their first time really role playing or playing RPGs. Mm-hmm. So kind of baby stepping them into it, seeing what they like. And then we're going to, if we you know, play another Pathfinder 2E game, we might, or we might move to a different system. I'm just trying to get a gauge for what they like to play. So that's interesting. What, what, what their strengths are. That's an interesting uh, AP to, to start people out on, right? Because um, I've been listening to uh, Glass Cannon's 
uh, Blood of the Wild show, which I think is the Quest for the Frozen yeah. Flame. Yep. And that uh, feels very like um, almost like hardcore survivalist, like hexploration kind of stuff. It are is. They, yeah. I, yeah. They are. Um, okay. We've had a couple deaths. So it's been nice to, for Ooh. them to bring characters in and can have um, like better armor and stuff because you're very limited by the setting. Yep. So we've been able to bring some new characters in, but it's been it's been a very brutal campaign. I will give them that. And I also roll notoriously well. Um, oh, okay. It is, it's not, uh, uh, it sucks at points because like, it's just like, oh, there's a natural 20. Oh, there's another natural 20. Oh, <laughs> I guess I can't really fudge that. Like, cause I, I roll out in the open now just for, oh, sure. I don't know. I just kind of want to get in that habit of, I'm not hiding anything, so I don't have an issue to do it, but it's been good and bad at points. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. Way. I appreciate that. Um, that's one of those things where, you know, I think, um, it's sort of a, it's a hard thing to really, I think, decide on as a GM, um, unless you have like really strong moral opinions about one way or the other, um, yeah. because there's pros and cons to both. And, you know, I think that's a, when you're, when you're putting it out there like that, if you're, if you're making all of your roles in the open, that I think that really, um, pulls the story in a lot more of a um, let the dice tell the story kind of a way, which I think a lot mm. of people like, um, but it can lead to some very unexpected uh, chaos. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I typically have a rule. My general house rule for it is I will roll all saves out in the open just to be so, like, you don't think I'm cheating you. Okay. Um, so that's always something I've done even since, like, fifth edition, where every roll, every save is on the table so everyone can see the result. So there's yeah. no... Like if yeah, so it it sucks for me sometimes when I really want something good and I don't roll that way. But I also think there's that level of like awesomeness that the players get to feel when they see it come up as like a two and be like, "Yes, it worked! Yeah!" Start cheering. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Um, you, how, well, so how, yeah. how about how about with um stealth? Not stealth rolls. What do they call them? Um, in secret Pathfinder. Roles? Yeah, secret rolls. Um, I like them. I kind of we kind of leave it up to the group. I kind of ask them like, hey. Um, how do you guys want to handle this? Like one okay. group, they're just like, I want to roll. Like, cool. You guys do you. Other times, um, I'll do it. Like the Age of Ashes game, we play with it. And it's just the sheer amount of them is me having to remember all the times I have to do it. But, okay. um, it definitely helps with having a poker face. It's helped me with that where I'm like, yeah, no, that door's totally fine. And it's trapped. And the other time I'm like, yeah, that door's totally fine. And it's not. So I'm, I think it helps in that <laughs> not being able to be readable. Yep. Definitely. Um, which is a tough thing. I, try to you know keep a straight face and say the same things that kind of thing but this is the the age of ashes game is the first one where i've really hit home like consequences for actions right so like they they're doing things and these are going to have repercussions and like they need to understand like they came back to a town and um like something had happened to the town they're like well we saved you guys they're like yeah, cool. Like you saved us, but you also, oh, there was like a fire and they mm -hmm. basically lit a building on fire and burned down a building. And they're like, oh, sorry, we saved a guy. It's like, yeah, cool. You saved a guy, but you burned down two buildings. Like, yeah, at what cost? What the fuck, man? Like, like we have to rebuild that. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, we saved you guys from this. It's like, no, they're not discrediting that, but you also need to understand like this is their livelihood and whatnot that they have going on. Uh, so it's just little things like that where I've been trying to hold them accountable for their actions, like, uh, which I've never really done in games before. To an extent, um, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, it's Pathfinder Two E is an awesome system. I will one hundred percent sing its praises, um, even if it's really not my style of game. So, sure, 
Which kind of brings me to my next question. Yes. Is uh, what is your favorite style of game that you've played so far? Is Are you like a tactical gamer? Are you more of a story gamer? Uh, like a middle ground kind of want both of them? Uh, it entirely depends on the day. Um, but I would say <laughs> more often than not, I'm going to lean towards story. Okay, awesome. I, I've, I've been known to, God, so earlier on in my GM life, um, I definitely have run games where there was probably just no combat. And if if there was, it was because some of the players insisted that there be combat. Like, <laughs> I, I was not interested in it. I was like, let's tell a story. Let's investigate this political intrigue or this murder mystery right. or whatever. And I just forget about it. But um, I, I, I think I'm getting better at it. And, and trying to, and this is where I think the Pathfinder 2E campaign that uh, Brandon and I are working on is uh, coming in handy, is figuring out how can I make a combat encounter feel unique and relevant to the story. That's and, the big part for me. That last yeah. part is so key. Like I hate. That's why my big issue with dungeons is like, all right, you go into this room and there's like a orc and then a rust monster. It's right. like, the fuck are they going to hang out? Like, don't tell me that yeah, rust monster why? and orc. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. no, that's awesome. I'm glad that. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm becoming more of a story gamer. Um, ever since I discovered Powered by the Apocalypse games, that really, really twisted my brain and. So, so what is rethink. that? I've heard about that, but I've never, I don't, I've never oh, looked yeah. into it. Um, so there's a game called Dungeon World, which is probably not the best example of a Powered by the Apocalypse game, but okay. it's the one that I really played the most. But it's more of a, um, it's a take on Dungeons and Dragons where you, like, very minimal health points, you just have a set of moves that you do. And then depending on, you don't necessarily say the move you're going to do, but depending on what your character wants to do, it lines up with the move. You roll 2d6, depending on what you roll, then you narrate what the outcome of that is. Okay. And, but there's no set story. There's no, like, combat is very much um, reactionary. Hmm. There's no there's no initiative order. It's just like, you know, the goblin runs at you with his axe. What do you do? And they're like, oh, I swing my sword. And I'm like, cool, sounds like you're making an attack roll. Here's what you're going to roll. And then sure. depending on how they roll, then you narrate off of that, like, all right, you sink your axe into him, he cries out in pain, you know, he skewers at you, and you look to your left and see there's a goblin sneaking up behind the rogue. Rogue, what do you do, like, as you feel this breath on your neck? And you just try to make it feel dynamic and bounce around everybody. Yeah, um, that makes sense. It's cool. It's a lot of fun. There's another one that I really like that I was originally had plans to run a Vin Diesel-style game in called oh. Spirit of 77. Okay. Which is like a, a uh, like pulpy kind of explo- uh, exploitation style uh, RPG. Oh, okay, where like, you're just like you're the muscle or the car guy or the you know that kind of the bouncer. Yep, and it's all just like super over the top, like you know, uh, Vin not Vin Diesel but like Jean Claude Van Damme mm-hmm. style movies where you just like everyone beat the shit out of each other. Um, and, or like uh, yeah, like really Bruce ex- Willis. Kind of, yeah. And it really worked for our Vin Diesel idea. But unfortunately, COVID hit and we weren't able to go do our, our Vin Diesel game. Ah. Um, but yeah, all in all, um, there it's a really fun take on the way to think about RPGs. Um, and I think it's become kind of that, to me, It's it really changed my how I looked at games. And it made me mm-hmm. really like that style. And even now, moving into wanting to like really run Blades in the Dark, which is kind of a... I guess evolution of Powered by the Apocalypse in a sense. Um, yeah, just kind of playing to find out what's going to happen instead of like I have this story. We need to stick to it. It's just like no, man. We're all going to get together. 
we're going to have an idea. Let's see where it takes us. And that's kind of yeah. how I, I'm really liking that kind of gaming right now. Uh, speaking of Blades in the Dark, um, have you heard of Candela Obscura? I have, yes. It's the um, from the guys from Critical Role, right? It's their system. Yeah. I, I think I, it's designed by one of the guys who created a offshoot of Blades of the Dark called Scum and Villainy. I think it's Strauss. That sounds something? accurate. Uh, I don't I know. I forget his name. Involved. I apologize, but uh Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure. But yeah, it, it looked it looked interesting. It it's come out of Critical Role, I think, because of the whole OGL thing. Um they've decided to start playing different games. So one of them is this uh Candela Obscura, and then they're actually working on a different game that I know nothing about, uh, but I think is more fantasy style. But yeah, good um, for them. That one, you know, similar to what you're describing with um, with the Powered by the Apocalypse games, just the, that idea of like making, you know, it's it's less about like nitty gritty rules and more about kind of telling a story and then building, you know, putting putting the dice into it where it makes sense um, mm. and allowing people to be more free and open. That was something um, as I've been uh, prepping to to Russell. I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but I'm prepping to run that too. Um, oh, nice! And as I've go. been prepping that, I was telling my players, um, you know. Uh, this is a little different from how most games like like Pathfinder would approach things like gear or or your abilities where it may give you a vague description or in some cases with gear, at least in the starter guide, they only give you the name and they don't give you any descriptions. And awesome. my impression so. with that is, yeah, like take take that name. You know, this is a I think there's one thing is called like a, a bleed bleed containment vial. Yes, no mechanical explanation at all. So my impression is, great, you've got a bleed containment vial, you want to use it to contain some bleed, you tell me what it does, you tell me how you use it, and then we're going to roll for it. So That's awesome. I'm, I'm very excited to try that out. Have you ever played a game with the usage dice? What is that? Uh, it's this really cool mechanic where, um, and, and Blades of the Dark, or not Blades of the Dark, but Powered by the Apocalypse has it in a sense. Okay. Where every item you have, you have a dice assigned to it. And when you use that item, you roll the dice. And if you roll a one, then it takes a step down. So it's like a okay. D8 through like a D4. And then once you roll a one on a D4, you lose that item completely. So you can okay. use that item as many times as you want, as long as you keep rolling well. But as soon as you roll that one, you lose it. And what it's just really cool. Um, so like rations is a way or like arrows is a big thing. So if you're firing off arrows and arrows at the end of each combat, you'd roll the usage dice for your bundle of arrows. And then if you roll like on a six, you roll a one, you go down to a D4. It means you've mm -hmm. lost some of your arrows. And eventually once you roll a one on that D4, you've completely run out of arrows. Now that you have to switch to a weapon or you have to go to town and resupply. Well, what if you roll a high number, like like the highest number out of dice? Oh, then you're good. You just keep it. You just keep oh. having the, the, the it's you still have the item. Okay, so it's this kind of concept sense. where it's this nebulous, you don't have to track how many items you have in a sense, mm -hmm. you just have them. Kind of like Blades of the Dark has it, where you you choose a loadout, and when you go into a mission, I, I, maybe Candle Obscura has it this does, too. It does, yeah, it's the same. Uh, I love that. It's such a cool thing. Like, yeah, just pick however many, you, it, during the score, or during the mission, you have five slots. You just pick what slot, like one of those slots, yep. say what you're going to use, and you just mark it off. I love that. Instead of getting so like ticky-tacky with everything that you have, just... Like, let's just make it nebulous. When you need it, you need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And for what it's worth, I, I feel like there is a place for that ticky-tacky, like, super gritty, oh, number-crunchy stuff. I, I like it in specific situations, but and with specific people, right? People who are interested in kind of tracking all that stuff and really getting into the system. But for a yeah. lot of players, you know, especially a lot of new players, I don't think, you know, 
I don't think most people are interested in trying to master that kind of a thing and having the freedom to, to pull in whatever or like even with um, with Blades in the Dark, they've got that flashback um, mechanic. Mm. I love that concept because, you know, it's like you get to choose retroactively in the story, how your character might have prepared for some situation that you're facing now that you couldn't have known about. It gets people into the action quicker, which I like. I, yeah, I love that, and I love also it cuts down on all the planning. Because, I mean, yep. who hasn't been in an RPG session where you sit there for 45 minutes coming up with a plan, and then you kick open the yeah. door and, like, you, it doesn't work. Like, I, I love that aspect where it's like, nah, screw it. We're getting to the action. If you think of something that fits during the time, have a flashback. We're getting into it. I, I love that so much. Um, I, I feel like I'm kind of notorious for letting my players kind of do that sort of a thing. As far as, like wasting time really trying to come oh, so up with a plan. I. It's, it's hard. It's hard to, you know, I want, I want players to have agency and I want them to feel like what they're doing matters in the situation. And I, you know, I, in impossible landscapes, my, uh, my players spent almost an entire set session searching down a lead that basically went nowhere. And I, I, I was like, <laughs> okay, well, you know, I don't want to disappoint them. This is, you know, the King in yellow. Right. So they, they went to a theater called the, the palace and because, you know, it's stuff and uh, and and they thought it was a good lead. So I ended up inserting some stuff in there that, you know, I thought was um, kind of help pull them back towards the main thread. And they just went right over their heads. <laughs> yeah, no, I I try to kind of keep a especially if it's a game like uh, Blades or something that's not necessarily a Pathfinder. It's like, all right, the creature's coming more towards you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's mm-hmm. right there. Like, you need to make this decision right now or else it's going to get you. Yep. And if they don't have it, then like, all right, well, I'm going to take the, my, my free attack or whatever it's going to be. Um, yeah, I know Jake, the player in uh, our podcast or my podcast, he's really into, he really wants to do like a ticky tacky game mm-hmm. and like track how many arrows he has and all that stuff. And so I've got a couple systems in mind that I want to run for that, but just finding the time right now. Um, Get that uh, weight encumbrance, track how much gold yeah. you have and, and, you know, weighs you down. Uh, I kind of want to, <laughs> I think... I think I could convince him to play uh, Twilight 2000, which is... What is that? Uh, uh, it's a... They ran it on New Game Who This. Uh, if you okay. list, uh, I think it's Ross Bryant. Um, I think it's Bestel when um, Grant was on the network. Anyways, okay. it's this post-apocalyptic system that basically World War Three breaks out in Europe. And y- when you build a character, you start at point A, and you go through like sections of their life. So you go through like high school. Mm-hmm. And then you roll a dice, and if you don't get drafted to the war, or when the war doesn't break out, then you go to college or military, and then you do, like, the first year of that, and then you roll a dice to see if the war breaks out. Oh, my God. Or, if you're good, and then you go to the second year, and all this stuff, and then eventually the dice gets smaller and smaller, and the chance for war breaking out happens, and when it happens, you're conscripted, and you're sent over the Eastern Europe, and, and there's, like, the basically, you know, like, think of, like, it's not a very good game to right now because of current political systems that we have going on over there but like imagine if russia dropped a nuke over there and you were there when it happened and cut everything mm-hmm. off and you're just living in the fallout trying to survive and like you know you have limited ammo you have limited gas you have limited food and it's all about that survival and trying to get out of the country you're in interesting um, okay it sounds really cool but it's not necessarily a game right now that i want to run given the yeah. heaviness of all the real world <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, i don't blame you um but yeah, it's that, that's the type of game I, I think that he would really dig into um, with that kind of system. So, but yeah, 
It's, uh, I don't know, there's so many cool systems out there. There's so many different systems. I love reading systems and rules and just diving into new stuff. For sure. Um, there's a I lot on always... Kickstarter, too. I've been uh, oh yeah, yeah spying a bunch. I've backed too many. There's one <laughs> I just got the playtest for called Aether Nexus, which I kind of want to try to run with the, the for the podcast as like a one shot, but I got to figure it out first. Okay. But it's everything they love. It's fantasy giant mechs. Like, you can't get more on brand with our group. Like, And I think there's like team combos where you can spend points and help boost up your team members and stuff like that, which I know that's something Cody's always wanted in a RPG system is something like the Chrono Trigger system where um, you could do like dual techs and triple techs and stuff like that. Um, he's always wanted a game that could pull that off. So, but yeah. Um, so I guess let's move on to what both our podcasts are about. Let's talk some Delta Green. Wait, we have podcasts? Uh, we do. We're kind of recording this for one. It's oh weird. my God. <laughs> um, so I don't have any experience with this, but I wanted to ask you, how do you approach being a player in Delta Green? How do you get into the mindset? How do you pick up like a character? Uh, like how, what kind of character you want to play? I'm very interested in that aspect. Well, I feel your pain because uh, Stories and Lies is the first time I've ever played Delta Green. Um, that's a, It's a good question. Uh, I think it's kind of the same way I approach being a player in any game. Um, so to kind of touch on the character aspect of that, I like to sort of kind of feel out what my character is going to be. Um, so my character in the first season of um, Stories and Lies is a, a, a professor named Dorothy. And in that situation, I... I had sort of an image in my head of like what this person looked like, you know, and, and kind of um, their personality very briefly. And then I started kind of asking myself questions about, you know, how would they react to certain things? How do their, you know, family feel about them and X, Y, and Z and what do they do with friends and, and kind of um, pulling out uh, details like, you know, she's in a band and she's a professor of anthropology and, she has a very complicated relationship with her parents, um, stuff like that. Um, and then when I'm playing, I try to just slip into those shoes and ask myself, like, what would this character do in this situation? Um, which has been really hard uh, for me over time, but has gotten a lot easier as I've been playing more. Um, there was a good period of time where I only GM'd and, uh, you know, got to flex those player muscles. Yeah, hopefully Misha's going to run a game here and I'll be able to play. That is something I'm very much looking forward to when it comes to Delta Green because I've, I don't know, it's, it seems like it's in my wheelhouse to want to play. So I'm just, I'm, I'm waiting. Yeah, for sure. Is that so Misha's going to run DG? Uh, yeah, she's currently doing a homebrew that she's planning. Um, okay. That I think it might be the next kind of campaign after we're done with Dark Thoughts, uh, with at least the next mission. But I need okay. to make sure she's comfortable with it because she's never run anything before. And so I just kind of like, if you don't want to run it for your first, like, you don't want your first thing you ever run to be recorded. I totally get it. And I respect that. And I don't want to put you in a position to where, right. like, you feel you have to. So, yeah, totally. Well, and, and um, at the end of the day, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, it sounds like you guys are a group that play games outside of recording. Um, yeah. From you know, from my perspective, and from from the perspective of our uh, our podcast and our 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 crew, um, when we started out, our uh, our main goal was just to play a game and have fun. So, in, in a lot of ways, the podcast is sort of a bonus. But um, I think, at least personally, I would like to keep playing regardless. You know, even if 
that kind of thing didn't work out or, or whatever, if we ended up, um, uh, you know, um, for, for whatever reason, I would love to just keep playing because I think it's such a, such a fun game. Yeah. And that's kind of where, I mean, we played for about a year before we even talked about doing a podcast Mm -hmm. and then I pitched the idea to them. I actually had another group in mind to do the podcast with, and I kind of hit a point where I was like, I just don't know. I've done a podcast with them before. And I kind of, this isn't, I don't want to sound like bitter or angry or anything, but like I did a lot of it. I would edit it. I would share it on social medias. I would do 90% of the promotion. Uh, A lot of it was just me doing it because I was the one who took charge. And that was a big part with this podcast where I was like, I don't want to do everything. So one of you, please do social media. I don't care who it is. Like just help share it, help do that part. I'll do the editing. Like, what yep. do you deal with talking to people? Uh, just that kind of stuff. Like, let's put these responsibilities up so no one gets burnt out. And I, I just don't want to go through that again. So, yeah, it's tricky, you know, just finding that balance. I mean, you had it. I mean, I can't I can't imagine editing two podcasts. That's hats off to you. Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll golf clap for you because that's definitely the thing holding us back from doing the Patreon was um, I was like, hey, if we're going to do this, I want to make enough money from the Patreon to where it's going to compensate my time for having to edit you podcasts. Cause that's going to yep. take away from me being able to hang out with my family. And I don't really want to go with that right now. So yeah, it, it was a lot. Um, so that, uh, that second one for the Patreon is done right now. Um, we actually, I think we, yep, we just put it out today. Um, I think so. Yeah. And, uh, I am at least for now, I am no longer editing the main podcast. Um, we, uh, we hired an editor named Ged who is incredible at what he does. Um, the, uh, the sound effects and the music that he's been able to put together and, and the way he's taken the show and given it this really interesting personality um, is uh, is super cool to see. So um, glad to have him on, on board uh, with that. And it does, it, you know, it saves a lot of time um, being able to do something like that. And, and we're doing that out of pocket because our Patreon doesn't make enough to support something like that. But mm. um, he's got a pretty reasonable um, price for each episode. Uh, so That's awesome. we're, we're figuring that out and, uh, and, you know, if need be, I'll go back to, to editing it and stuff. Um, but then I'm also going to take on, um, any, any extra stuff we do, any Patreon stuff that way I, I won't have to be doing, you know, two podcasts at a time. Cause it really is a lot. Uh, I had oh, basically yeah, absolutely. no time, no free time in the weekends for, uh, whatever that, uh, eight to 10 weeks. Well, especially when you're running one. I, I don't know how far <laughs> yeah, ahead you guys have recorded. Like, that's the thing. I don't know how far ahead you guys are, but... Um, oh, we're months yeah, that, ahead. That needs a- <laughs> we're months <laughs> yeah, <totally>. ahead, Chris. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. We, uh, I think at this point, technically... So, if episode eight comes out next Monday, uh, we are recording episodes nine and ten tomorrow. There you go. So, yeah, we're we, like a week ahead. <laughs> we've got our buffer for home scenes recorded. This is going to drop as well, and then I have, uh, we're recording next week, we're doing two episodes, and then Labor Day, we were going to sit down and just record, like, seven or eight episodes. Oh, there you go. We've actually, we got smart, we're like, hey, let's create a Google Calendar together, mm-hmm. and the first weekend of every month, we're dedicating to recording at least four episodes, and that way we can get back. Because that was the big thing when we first started this, we had 12 episodes banked, and yep. then obviously, yep, life happens, and that's what we expected, and we weren't, Yeah. It yeah. wasn't a surprise to any of us, but um, that is a thing. I think we had eight uh, episodes banked when we started, and slowly it's just been, you know, we miss a session or you know, I'm slow oh, yeah. editing things or whatever. I, I mean, it's life. Yeah. Like 
you you should be able to have a life outside of doing this. That's to me that was <laughs> always been my thing is like I'm not going to take away from if you got shit that comes up, cool man, go do it. Like go live your life. I don't. This is just a silly thing we do for fun. Like, yep. Yeah. I'm not going to take it. It's a hobby. Seriously. So exactly. Um. So how do you approach being a handler now that you're behind the reins? Um. Were you nervous at all when you started? Did oh you, my god. Yes. Did you get like over prepped because? <laughs> Like just like tons of notes or how did you handle it? Uh, so as I'm sure you've experienced, you know, you can prep all you want and uh, your players are going to do something you didn't expect. Um, and that Absolutely. is very much the case with uh, painting <laughs> darkness, which is the the current arc that we're running. Um, I, so I actually, uh, I wrote the whole thing. I wrote the kind of scenario background and whatever, all that kind of stuff um, over the course of the early spring. And then I play tested it uh, over, I think, two sessions. Um, nice. So yeah, total total of like six hours, I think. Um, the uh, the podcast version is basically twice as long, um, or is going to end up being about twice as long. Mm. And the play test um, went off pretty much exactly as I expected it to, exactly as I'd kind of planned for it to to go. Um, but the podcast run, um, my my players are. Um, incredibly um, uh, ingenuitive and uh, creative when it comes to dealing with situations. And they, <laughs> you know, they have a knack for looking at the world that we're, we're kind of painting together, the story that we're telling and really kind of getting immersed in what's happening and what they would do in character. So it's, it's led to a lot of really interesting things that I just did not expect, um, which have, I think made, uh, made the story better in a lot of ways. That's awesome. Um, but yeah. so to, to answer your question, I guess, um, how do I approach uh, being a handler? It's uh, depending on if it's like homebrew or, or not, right? Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, either writing the stuff or, um, or reading the stuff, whatever it happens to be. Uh, I like to just sort of prep um, session to session, like uh, what, what, what is the state of being? What, what is the thing right now? And try to look ahead and see what possible directions could this go in and where do we want it to kind of end up? Um, you know, that way I interesting. I, okay. Yeah. You know, and, and, and things could go catastrophically different. Um, and they, and they have in, in some situations where, um, I had a plan for where I thought I wanted the players to be by a certain point and they, um, ended up going a different direction and that, um, that kind of changed what we're doing. But, um, you just uh, you just have to hold on tight and uh, hope for the best. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. That's yeah, yeah. That's I know that part. Yeah. Um, How about you? Yeah. I've, um. So, like you said, I think there's a different way to approach it when it's written. Uh, like when I ran Extremophilia, I had a book source there. I could kind of play off of stuff. Yep. And I knew that I was going to spin out of it, so I started mixing my future plans into it. Um, but the first homebrew I did was the super elaborate, um, like, JFK assassination hmm. was done by this cult so that they could summon the powers of Yogg-Sagoth to give them immortal life. Hmm. Um, and I didn't really, I really planned on the cult being kind of a, a background character, like it was this, the set piece to start it, and then that we would kind of evolve into them having to chase down these cultists who lived essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were really obsessed with this cult and everything that it stood for and trying to like find the details there. And I was just like, uh, 
I mean, at a point, I'm just kind of pulling stuff up. Like, yeah, this, this, and this. Like, it makes sense, this kind of thing here or there. But um, <laughs> I am I really love rolling with the punches. I think that's one of my favorite things about doing role-playing games is I don't know what to expect, and I, I love having to think on my feet and kind of come with it. So in the most, like, recent games I've been running, I've just kind of had, like, a page or two of details that I expect. Like, here's the background story. Here are the characters. Here's their motivations. Here's a rough outline of things that are going to happen. So, like, this is going to happen two days from then. This will happen. If the players find out about it, dope. If they don't, that thing's going to happen in the background, and then we're going to have to see what happens, like the cascading effect of that. Yep. Um, so I really like that aspect of it. Um, as for, like, fantasy games, I have to do those a little bit differently, and I'm running a Warlock game right now, and so I'm kind of setting the seeds for future stuff there. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm uh, trying to prep less and kind of just go with what my characters are giving me and, and roll off of what they think sounds interesting. Um, like, totally. I think right now for Mission 3, I have about two pages typed up of just, like, going through, like I said, basic scenario, what I plan, what the motivations are, what's going to happen, um, potential leads, potential sites that they're going to visit, and what clues can be found there. So it's kind of bullet lists of stuff there. And Okay. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. That's yeah, kind of that, how that I, I look open. at it now. Yeah. I, yeah. Because, I, I, like I said, you don't know what they're going to do, right? Like, you never know which way they're going to go. So I'd rather have just high-level things thought out, and then I can make up something on the fly as long as it makes sense to whatever internal dialogue or whatever thing I have set in my head. Um, I ain't going to go that route, but... Yep, that that uh that seems uh like a good use of time. Um, I I ended up uh in painting darkness while I was prepping for it and stuff. I tried to flesh out as much of it as I could so that in case they went in any direction, I would have something, uh, which led to situations like spending a half hour fleshing out the backstory of the clerk at the motel who they're going to talk oh, to yeah. for five minutes and then leave forever. Right. Yep. <laughs> right? Do you know how I'm sure I I am on a government watch list for the amount oh, of times. Man. I googled the JFK assassination and all the details, and like the one house in in uh, New York that I had it take place in, like I I found a site that had all the blueprints, so I downloaded the blueprints. I made Holy maps cow. out of it, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I, I got really into it, and so uh, yeah, that's <laughs> just like I'm sitting here looking up all of this JFK stuff. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting washed. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Like, what gun was used? What was the yep. standard issue revolver in, like, 1963 for the federal police? And, like, yeah, all this just are, like, you know, for the FBI, for the New York, uh, like, police department, all this stuff. So Totally. Yeah, well, in games games like that, you know, modern games and, and like, Delta Green and stuff will do that to you because you want it, you know, you want it to be accurate. So I'm, I'm same exact thing. I'm, I'm Googling like, you know, what sort of guns do the RS, RCMP use or, you know, what all, all that kind of stuff just to make it more accurate. Is but. there a added difficulty in you doing a game that doesn't take place in your home country? I, I kind of, cause you know, it takes place in Canada, the, the current uh-huh. version and you're in Minnesota, right? I am, which is basically Canada. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there any kind of weird, is it like, Having to remember, you're just like, oh man, metric system's so much easier than whatever the fuck America has, Imperial. Yep. <laughs> or yep. is there anything there that you're kind of going through that you have to like catch yourself on? Like, now nah, that's how Americans do it. How do the how do the Canadians do it? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I think for the most part, I've done kind of a bad job of of that. I I just sort of default to a lot of the American stuff. 
um, or, or I make assumptions. Um, gotcha. Yeah, metric system. I, I do like to try to throw that in there. Um, you know, with whether it's temperature or distance or whatever. Uh, but I do still, you know, end up using the imperial stuff um, sometimes. Because one of your players is Canadian, right? He's from yep, Canada. He is. So his character, uh, Fred. So that that's a uh, Matt who plays uh, Fred. Yes. And so this story takes place in Fred's back uh, backstory or back um, background. Oh, cool! Um, awesome. Yeah, there so we go. it takes place near where Fred is from, which also happens to be where Matt is from. So, okay, nice. You know, that general area. Put a little bit of himself in the character. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which you you kind of have to do, right? When you're building a character. Yeah. In some ways, it always ends up being you in, in through some lens. Exactly. Um, so which do you prefer to do? Do you prefer to play or do you prefer to run since you've gotten to do both? Uh, that is a... That is a terribly difficult question. Um, I love them both for very different reasons. I think um, if I really had to like pick one, um, I th- I think I like playing more. Okay, but I I love handling a game as well. I'm hoping I get to answer that question here soon, but yeah. right now I have to say handling. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I kind of am the forever GM, I feel like. Tyler has ran a couple games uh, that have been really fun to play in. I think I've played the most in his games. Um, but I don't know, there's something... I always feel bad as a player at points, because I'll be like... I don't want to say backseat GMing, but mm-hmm. I'll be kind of like looking at a scenario and be like, okay, like what's what's the purpose of doing all this stuff here? Like, what are they trying to do? It's like, well, no, that's not your characters. That's not how your characters think. Your character should be thinking like what's in that box. Not necessarily like, okay, so the game designer put that box here. Cause there's something in there, but what's it going to be to untie? Like, I just, I have to get out of that mindset and it's really hard for me at points. When you have a group but, that's, that's all GMs, I think it's a lot easier. And you know, in, in that way, um, pretty much anybody could take over the, the reins and, run a game like I'm, I'm you know specifically i'm talking like if you have a home a home group or table where um where that's the case it's not always the case right there's there's much fewer of us no. gms out there than there are players uh but the more of your players you can convince to gm the the better your time will be i promise exactly i always think of gms as like drummers and bands <laughs> where it's like you need one to do. You need one for every band needs a drummer, and so if you know a drummer, they're probably in like seven different bands. Sure. <laughs> so like, I I I know I'm running five different games right now just because I can't say no to friends who want to play. Yeah. Um. But I also am very much in the sense where I've I've hit a point where I'm like, if I'm going to run a game for you, it's going to be something I want to run. I'm not going to run like I'm not going to play five E anymore because I don't want to. It just doesn't yeah. interest me anymore. So if we're going to play. I'm going to run a system that I'm interested in playing. I'll teach you how to do it. I'll give you PDFs. We'll go over it. I'll make sure it makes sense to you. But like, ultimately I want to enjoy myself as much as you are playing. Yeah, totally. So what well, now? Um, uh, let me ask, um, just out of curiosity, why, why don't you enjoy five E anymore? Um, I just got, uh, this is gonna be a very, it's a very personal, it's not five E's fault. I will 100% say that okay. what it is, is I ran a five E game, it was the uh, Horde the Dragon Queen, the very first uh, AP they put, or not AP, but it, like adventure they put out for yeah. uh, fifth edition. It is not a good adventure path. It's terrible, I would say. Oh, um, they make assumptions in the very first beginning of the book where it's like you are a traveling caravan who comes to a town and it's attacked by a blue dragon, and so you're going to rescue everybody. It's like who in their right mind is going to run around and help a bunch of people they don't know? Like that doesn't make sense. Like. 
Heroes. Like, I, I, I yes, I understand that point, but like, no, I don't know. I don't know anybody who's made a straight up hero in my entire years of playing D and D five E or Pathfinder two E. Okay. Like everybody's made a character that at some point has selfish motivations to it. Um. So, anyways, I I have this game going, and it's. Nobody, like, the group is really snipey with each other. One guy quit after the first session. Mm. The first three or four sessions ended in TPKs that I had to keep figuring out ways to get around it. Um, like, I I had a friend playing a barbarian who, he didn't rage until probably fourth level as a barbarian. He just never oh raged. Oh my god. Never raged. Um, and so it just kind of, there's a lot of aspects to it. But the kind of hit a point where we they had this really brutal fight on top of this keep, this castle, and one guy got dominated and wasn't part of the fight, and this vampire just mopped the floor with him. Mm-hmm. And so I had a whole thing set up for the beginning of book two, how I had a whole story worked into it, and it just kind of hit a point where I was like, I'm not having fun doing this. Like, this group is, like, constantly, like, bickering at each other or, like, making snipey comments. Okay. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to let them pick the next session. That's how it's going to work, and I'm going to give it like a month, and if no one set a date, I'm going to end the campaign. Oh, I remember you talking about that. We went through a month. No one wanted to play again, so I was like, all right, guys, hey, I'm going to cancel this. Like, it's just, I don't want to run this game anymore. Mm -hmm. And and again, it's not 5e's fault. It's not, it just, I think it's, if I'm going to play a fantasy game, there's a lot better options for what I want, especially if I'm going to, like, if you're going to do power fantasy, which 5e to me is power fantasy. Um, Some people might disagree with that, but it is. Uh, I'd rather play 13th Age, or I'd rather play Pathfinder 2E. Like, something that is engaging for the players, that has a lot of options. I mean, there's not a whole lot of options for a fifth, you know, like a fifth level fighter. You're going to have your two attacks and whatever subclass you pick that you might get a couple cool things for. Um, I feel like five, I feel like D&D or Wizards really dropped the ball with classes in 5E. I mean, they've had, what, two new classes added for the entire depth of the game? The, um, what is it? They, I think they've only added like two new classes to that game. Do they have like Pathfinder an Artificer releases. or something? The Artificer, and there's another one that they added. Okay. The, yeah. Um, but like Pathfinder 2E, they release new classes every month. Constantly. Um, oh my God. Constantly. Yeah. They just released the Rage of the Elements or whatever it is. And there's Kineticist and all this stuff. So it's cool. Like, yep. I love seeing that type of support. And I get that 5E's design is built around the subclasses. That's where their focus is. You're going to have your bread and butter core. And you're going to build out what you want through the subclasses. But it just, if I'm going to do power fantasy, I want to go power fantasy. Like, I want my guys, I want, like, 13th Age to me is the most epic, like, power fantasy game. And okay. so, like, if, you, if you're if you not at that level, then I don't really, like, let's just go big if we're going to do this. Interesting. So, okay. Uh, yeah, I've never heard but, of that one. Um, So it's actually designed by one of the guys who made 3.5 and one of the guys who made 4th Edition. And it was their attempt to fix 4th edition D&D. So, uh, there's 10 levels. Every time your character levels up, they gain a weapon damage dice. So by 10th level, you do 10 weapon dice worth of damage. Holy cow. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Talk about Each class, <laughs> dude, every class has different mechanics. Every class is mechanically different. Like, I'm, I'm not even joking you. They literally have, like, the rogue has, like, this thing called momentum. So every time they attack, they gain momentum, but every time they're hit, they lose momentum. Mm. And so they can use their momentum to like do sneak attack damage or disengage from combat and stuff like that. Whereas the fighter have these flexible attacks where 
you roll a dice, and if it's an even, you do two extra damage. But you get, like, it, it, like these kind of things. Yep. Uh, the barbarian, they go into a rage, and if you roll, you roll 2d20, take the higher result. If both your rolls are above a 15, it's automatic crit. Okay. And just stuff like that, where, um, and like the monks have like, uh, you have a beginning move, a middle move, and then an ending flourish. And so you basically build these combos of attacks. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it's just super cool, like the way they map out all these classes. But it's meant to feel like it feels epic as you're building this stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. So, but, um, yeah, anyways, I just, yeah, it's not 5e's fault. I don't like it. It's just a personal thing. I think it's just kind of oversaturation. I played it for years. It's probably the game I ran. I used to run Adventure League 2 for uh, oh, okay. Wizards of the Coast. Yep. So I did a lot of, lot of that. Um, I ran that for basically the launch of 5th edition to my son, my second son's birth. Okay. So yeah. uh, about six years ago is when I stopped running Adventure League. So Gotcha. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Read, <laughs> I read a lot. So I just kind of just I, I played enough. I've gotten my fill. I'd rather explore new things. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. Um, fifth edition is the game I played the most. But, uh, you know, and, and I would be lying if I um, said that it wasn't in part because of the OGL debacle uh, that I've kind of been soured on it. But also just I can see that having played it a lot and having explored kind of all of the classes and several of the, you know, um, adventures and, and doing homebrew stuff and all that stuff. And then also seeing other games out there. I've been a lot more curious about like exploring Pathfinder, for instance, that, Hmm. um, I just feel like I don't really need to play five E anymore. And at this point I kind of feel like because the, the, the OGL thing back in, January, February, whenever that happened was sort of the kind of the last straw that allowed me to sort of say, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to try some other stuff. I get that. Yeah. That was pretty gross. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I still don't understand their whole take on it, but I mean, they're a large corporation. They're going to do what they want. And yeah, I'm sure there's going to be enough people there. I mean, look, people are going to be buying one D and D or D and D next or whatever the heck it's going to be called. Um, People are going to buy it. People are going to love it. People are going to play it. But they know that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not. I don't. I think another big thing for me was their their PDF policy where you couldn't get PDFs of their books. Hmm. You could only get them through whatever their app is that you had to buy the books on there to get the PDFs. That just. Like D&D Beyond that really, or something. Yeah, I did not like that. Yeah, I, I was like, But whatever. What are you going to do? I'm, well, I'm just not going to play it. That's something I love about <laughs> Arc Dream. Um so number one, just to, to throw it out there, the people behind Arc Dream Publishing are some of the coolest motherfuckers out there. Absolutely. And especially they are incredible. Yeah, and w- especially when it comes to um like uh running and and maintaining an ongoing RPG, uh, not only with just the the quality of the content they put out, but the way that they handle their community, their philosophy behind all of that kind of stuff. It's been a, a real breath of fresh air to see um, like Rachel Ivy running a lot of the community stuff and see how they are um, they they understand the the need for community and they understand things like um, you know let's let's help out our podcasters so and this is something I, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with this the um, the green box thing right the Operation Green Box oh stuff. yeah yeah so that's something that a lot of the listeners might not know about but um, uh, Arc Dream has put out sort of a, a pack of resources for um, people who are running DG-related podcasts and shows. 
um, things like logos and um, you know snippets, uh, pictures from books, map handouts for certain. Yeah. Yep. And, and awesome. in, in some cases, even you know they'll um, they'll send PDFs for for certain um, for certain books um, for like reference and and to be able to do giveaways and stuff like that. And it really strengthened the ability for creators like us to utilize their system, to utilize their products and put out something that is creatively ours while also establishing like pretty clear boundaries about what's mm. what's okay and what's not okay. Um, but they've just been so incredibly helpful. Oh, and then the other thing is um, the portal. Uh, if you are creating a podcast or if you're creating a, a show or, or whatever, you can submit it to them like episode by episode, you can submit it to them and they will help try to, um, get some, get some, uh, reach for it. They'll, they'll post it on their community page or, um, uh, all the social medias. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah. which has been really, really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. I like, I was amazed when they reached out to us and we were talking with them and it's like, well, Hey, like just a heads up. Like, I'm going to buy a copy of Music from a Darker Room to give away for our podcast. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, we'll just give you a copy to give away. I was like, what? That's so cool. I'm like, yeah, we'll just, we'll just, like, as long as it's, like, not going to be a thing you do all the time, we'll gladly give you guys one. I was like, holy shit, like, we're nobodies. Like, uh, yeah, well, gladly. That's awesome. Like, thank you. You just, because I was trying to figure out the PDF aspect of it, right? Like, yep. if I bought it, and how would I get the, the PDF to transfer to who I bought it for? Yeah. Well, and that's um, that's the other thing too. Just um, as a quick aside about the PDFs, if you buy a, an Arc Dream book or if you buy a Delta Green book, um, you know, uh, in a store, right? If you buy it somewhere, you have a physical copy of the book. You can um, email them uh, and and you know tell them, hey, I have this copy of the book. Uh, I bought it. You know, um, I'd like a PDF. And in most cases, they'll send you a PDF or. Um, in one case, um, I think I had like, uh, what was it? Uh, it was like a first printing of the need to know or something like that, that has been changed over time. And, um, Mm -hmm. oh, that's, that's what it was. It was the need to know. I I said, Hey, I just bought this. Um, you know, it comes with, uh, the, um, handler screen and all that stuff. And I noticed that some of the details in it are a little different and they said, Oh yeah, you know, it's been updated. So they sent me a, a zip folder with, um, like PDFs of the original and the the latest up to date version and all the handler screen awesome. pictures. Yeah, it was super super kind. Yeah, yeah. Evil Hat does that too. I, I oh, love nice. them for it too. Any Evil Hat, like Blades of the Dark, if you buy that and you email them a copy of your purchase, they'll send you the PDFs for free. So that's awesome. Super cool. Yeah, it's just, I like. I think uh, who else does that? Um, uh, Free League does that, but you have to buy it through Free League's site, I believe, okay. or something like, or a local game store. You can't like buy it off of Amazon; they won't send them to you that way. But, yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, so uh, I had some other questions, but we answered them all pretty much. Oh, uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna we'll go out on one last question here. And is there any games that are coming up that you're looking forward to? Not necessarily games that you've played or like like Pathfinder you're planning, but anything new coming out that you want to try. Hmm. I don't know how closely you fall, though, RPG do, so yeah, <laughs> if you don't have one, that's fine. Well, that's a good question. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't have a ton. Um, I'll be honest, the biggest thing I'm excited for and uh, just want to get my hands on um, is everything from the um, conspiracy Kickstarter for Delta Green. It's, oh, nice. It's going to take several years, um, and, they, you know, <laughs> it, I might die before they all arrive, but... Uh, 
very excited about that. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, the Pathfinder Second Edition. I I have, I have such little experience in playing it or running. I've never played it. I've only run one one shot. Uh, I just want to sink my teeth into that. It's yeah. I hope you'll enjoy it. I hope you will. So for sure. Um, How about you? Uh, there's a game that just came out called Wetwired, which is oh. a um, cyberpunk version of another system called Warlock, which is my current favorite system. Yep. So I'm really excited to... I've wanted to do a sci-fi game, um, or like a cyberpunk game, and I was waiting for Cities Without Numbers to come out, which is... Uh, have you ever heard of Stars Without Numbers? No. Okay, so Kevin Crawford made this system called Stars uh, Stars Without Numbers, and it's this like very basic OSR style take on uh, like sci-fi, like kind of traveler esque. Okay, and then he did one called uh, Worlds Without Numbers, which is the that fantasy version. Of. Okay, yep. Yeah, so he's doing Cities Without Numbers, which is the cyberpunk version of that. Okay. Um, he also has Silent Legions, which is the Cthulhu version of his system. It's all the same rule system. Yep. Just yeah, interchangeable themes. Um, and so I was waiting for that to come out before I kind of ran a cyberpunk game, but Wetwired just came out, and it's going to scratch that shadow, punk, that shadow run itch, mm-hmm. but uh, with a very, very easy system that I love. So I'm really excited to dig in that and start reading, um, hopefully, the game put together of that. And awesome. then the other one I've been really trying to dig more into is uh, Down Darker Trails, which I know isn't new, but I recently got it, and I want to start, I want to do a Cthulhu Western. Yeah. Awesome. I've listened to a couple, so, and they are very, very cool. It's Yeah. I, I, I'm really excited, because I, I love Westerns, and I love Cthulhu Mythos so far. So Nice. Um, that's the plan. Well, I got one more question for you before you uh, before you end the podcast here. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what's coming next in the show? Yeah. So for mission three, um, we're going to a town. We're leaving Ellsbury, Washington in the rearview mirror. It's no longer. I think I've done what I can there. Um, I feel like I, if I go there a third time, <laughs> it would be tough. Uh, and it really depended on what the group did. Um I had a kind of a priest prequel set up for this old folklore tale of this family that would kidnap hitchhikers. Um, they, this, this lore around town of this, like they're called like the skitters, but they would kidnap families and like every, every missing person in the Kittitas Valley was attributed to this one family of people just kidnapping hitchhikers. Mm. So I had this idea that they were this family who would kidnap hitchhikers and then they would implant the souls of their, dying relatives into those bodies oh and basically God. take the person over. And so this family was still living, but it was just like whatever person they could find, they would just like pick somebody up and be like, I think that person looks cute. I want their body. And oh. they would take over, take that person and then put like grandma's soul into that body. Um, and I ran it in monster of the week and it was awesome. I loved it. Oh, so that was kind of my impetus for mission three. If how, depending on how things worked out. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty fucked up, but uh, big yuck vibes. So <laughs> the right now for mission three, we're going to um, I don't I don't I don't propose your or suppose you're familiar with Ellen, or Washington State, but no, there's a little town called Ocean Shores on the coast. Okay, it is one of the major beaches, and so that is where we are going to be taking place for mission three. Um, the as we said, they're 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 hunting witches mm-hmm. at the end of uh, mission two. And so that's going to tie into Mission 3 as well, but there's going to be bigger parts to play. 
Um, I'm going to switch up the intros. I don't think I'm going to do recaps in the intros, but I'm going to try to do background on one of the main groups and kind of, uh, my idea is to like almost these like not necessarily found footage tapes, but like somebody doing a broadcast for like they're prepping for the future of like, Hey, like if you're listening to this, like the new world was born, mm-hmm. here's how it happened and kind of play that out. Um, cause I always find that's the hard thing to do is like give listeners that background piece, um, and I've thought about doing it in other episodes where I kind of like cut away and add things at the end of it, but then I don't know if the players are going to listen to it yeah, by the time it happens. So that's kind of the big part. Like Jake is, Jake will not listen to episodes that he's like parts that he's not in the episodes. Okay. Um, so like, for instance, when we do an episode, I will take all the just MP3s and I'll put them onto a, a shared drive for us to go listen to so we can refresh ourselves before we start playing again. And Jake will listen to those, and he will like just skip past everything he's not in, which I I love because he doesn't want to ruin the story for him. Yeah, that's um, fair. If, you, if you're playing in it, that I, can be that can be helpful. I will say that this will probably be our most Cthulhu heavy uh, season. I'm really going to try to lean into the mythos. Okay. So if you know much about the mythos, there should be some clues there that I think will be kind of cool. Um, I have two distinct movies that are going to potentially play into this. Um, okay. just depends on how the group goes. I, I don't know yet how they're going to play out. Um, but I think if you've paid attention to the horror in the, probably the past 10 years, they'll be pretty apparent what they are. Um, but yeah, uh, so I, I'm really excited. Oh, what were you saying? Oh, so, I was just going to say, so not Wicker Man. <laughs> no, no Wicker Man this time. That's, that's uh, 50 years. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the remake was, yeah, even the remake oh, was don't, more than Don't talk about ago. the remake. It doesn't exist. Oh, God, the first, uh, the Wicker Man. Have you ever seen Kill List? Uh, no, I don't think so. If you like Wicker Man, you should watch Kill List. Okay. It is, uh, it's kind of another folk horror movie yeah. that is probably the best folk horror movie I've seen since Wicker Man. Okay. It's like, I think it's like that Midsummer and Kill List are like top three to me. Because um, yeah, that, the original Wicker Man's fantastic. Oh, it's so good. Yes. Yes, it is. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm, uh, I'm going to try to lean more into the Cthulhu mythos now that we're right next to the ocean. It was kind of oh, hard yeah. to come up with those details when you're in the middle of the fucking desert, which is Ellensburg is the it, like it's the center point of Washington State, which is like a desert. Um, really? If, if yeah. So I if you no don't know idea. much about um, this, is not a joke. In 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 Western Washington, you are two hours away from almost every biome that you want to get to. Huh. You are two hours away from the ocean. You're two hours away from the desert in eastern Washington. You're two hours away from the mountain. And we have a rainforest. Holy cow. Yeah, dude, this state's ridiculous. It is. There's. It's. Yeah. So, uh, okay. yeah, most of eastern Washington, once you get over what is called like Snoqualmie Pass and yep. the mountains there, That's what eastern Twin Washington is. is just a desert. Yeah, exactly. So okay. on the other side of that is just like, it's like you're in a desert. Like, just, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's a, it's a, it's a cool state. I'm glad... I'm glad I'm coming around on it. For a while there, I just didn't care, but I think I'm starting to appreciate it now more. That especially now that my parents moved down to Arizona and it's just flat and hot. Oh, like, yep. Yeah, you don't get a whole lot there. So, yep. Um, how about you guys? You guys got any plans for after you're done running the game? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um. So, uh, painting darkness is going to wrap up in the next some number of episodes, and uh, okay. once that's done, once we're done playing it, we're going to start playing. Um. We're, we're getting back into uh, Dorothy and Fred and Willow, um, and nice. we're going to start playing the sort of um, next part, 
I don't know if we're calling it season two or if we're calling it, you know, part two, part three, something like that. We'll figure out the number. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't know a ton of the details, uh, thankfully, uh, but I, I do know a brief glimpse of kind of the the mythos roots of what's going on in that story and i'm very very excited for it um that's awesome and then we also have been uh doing a lot of talking about other games so i'm not 100 percent sure what all we're going to be um recording versus just playing um but we we plan to have uh, a lot more stuff to be able to put out on our patreon now that i'm just going to be editing patreon stuff um i think that's gonna be a lot easier to to manage Nice. Yeah, that's always a good thing. I think we're we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do after this mission. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to. I like the idea of pivoting to a new system, but it just depends on what everybody else wants to do. Sure. Really, I just want to run Blades of the Dark. That's like I, I really want to run that. I think would make a really compelling actual play. Um, but it, I think it can just be too much. There's another game called Brinkwood, which was my original idea, okay. which is a Blades of the Dark, but you're overthrowing vampires. Interesting. Okay. So like, you get these each before you go on a mission, you select a fey mask that has like a certain tenants that you have to stick to. And then you bond with the mask and it gives you the strength to like kill the vampires. And so you basically go out and like take down their blood shops or like their mm. warehouses and eventually work your way up to taking down this vampire lord that rules over this island. Really cool concept. Love cool. it. But yeah. um I don't know. We'll we'll see. But well, I'm excited to listen to it, whatever it ends up being. I appreciate that. I'm really looking forward to seeing where you guys are going to go as well. Um, I'm loving, I, I like the distinction between your style and the previous GM style. I think it's really oh, cool to, to see how you guys handle it differently. Um, so yeah, I, I really, I'm really enjoying the story you guys are telling so far. I just got nice. to the part in yours where they hear the, the beast after the gunshot. So, <laughs> uh, I'm a little bit further than that, but I'm really excited to see what's going to come from that. So. Excellent. I think they were just fishing was when I, I like halfway through episode five. Since That's awesome. I don't have a whole lot of time anymore to listen to podcasts. So I'm trying. There's, there's a <laughs> lot, uh, there's a lot of stuff that happens after that. <laughs> Excellent. Maybe I'm not excited. a ton of episodes, so. but definitely a lot of stuff that happens. Well, that's all that matters. So, yeah. well, I appreciate you taking your time to sit down with me. Uh, we'll have well, to likewise. do this again. Maybe next time you can bring some of your friends or I can have a couple guys here and we can all chat. So for sure. Yeah. I love round tables. Yeah. There we go. Well, thank you again. Um, and tell everybody if they haven't listened to your podcast, where they can find you guys, release dates, all that stuff, just to be on the safe side. Sure. Um, yeah. So podcast is called Stories and Lies, um, spelled out A-N-D. Um, and uh, what is it? Uh, Patreon.com slash stories and lies. Um, you can find it in any podcast app, um, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple all that kind of stuff. Um, and we release on uh, Monday mornings or sort of midnight at the beginning of Monday, uh, midnight Eastern. So um, same day that you guys release. So if you want double the podcast on Mondays, come check us out. Um, and there then, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. You guys got a discord, right? Yes, we do. You're on it. In fact, yes, we, I am. We have a I'm discord. Um, there's a, there's a link in pretty much all of our podcast episode descriptions to the discord. Come on there. It's, it's growing. I think we've got over 30 people now. Uh, we uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm excited about it. That's great. Like we, I made one for our podcast, but I just don't know. Like, <laughs> it's like I, I'm just like I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing with this stuff. Like I'm, I'm so behind on what Discord is. So like oh, I'm a mod on the pretend to be people one. I'm like you, me, you guys sure? Like, <laughs> oh, okay, sure, yeah, man. Like, yeah, that's a I'll good not server. say dumb stuff. Oh, I love it. 
that's one of my favorite podcasts. Those guys are so cool. Absolutely. Um, they're, they're a blast. So, all right. Well, uh, again, I really appreciate you taking your time. Um, it's been awesome to get to talk with you, at least on the internet. So it's cool to hear your voice. Yeah, finally. totally. Uh, sans the podcast, but like in person kind of whatnot. Right. So. Yeah. I was thinking about that. But yeah, <laughs> thank you so much, Chris, for having me on. Of course. We'll do it again. I promise. Yep. Yep.